Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 403 of Longbox Heroes. Joe and Todd joining you here this week. Todd, how's it going? I'm doing fantastic. I'm not broiling in my own skin or nothing. Oh, good. I was hoping we would talk about the weather, as we should do on an old man podcast. We are two uh, bearded old guys, so... Mm-hmm. And I hate I hate hot weather, so... You know, we only have like six jokes, and it is that time of year for me to break out. Isn't like uh, tomorrow officially the first day of summer or something? Uh- I think it is. I think the 21st is the first day of summer. Right. And, uh, again, what does a fat guy do in the summer? Sweat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sweat. Sweat. Like, what's his face? Uh, Billy Idol used to say, sweat. 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 You know, speaking of people who look like Billy Idol, mm, that's yes. going to lead us into some of the news that we have to discuss. Uh, we're going to attempt to peel the onion of what the uh, DC Black Label is. It's not a society, it's an imprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also going to discuss about uh, an anniversary that's coming up of a certain DC book, as well as the upcoming crisis happening in DC. Uh, Dark Horse continuing to branch out, trying to get some new non-Disney-owned media properties <laughs> uh, under their publishing. And... A much-loved-by-me comic book series is finally coming to a medium other than comic books. Ooh. Being vague there. You are the king of vagueness. Mm-hmm. Comic book conventions, and uh, I always like to discuss the double bookings, and we got one of those uh, this, <laughs> week, this week as well. I'm just looking at cons three months out, so that's all mm-hmm. I care about, but go ahead. That's right. We're going to stop at Wendy's beforehand, not a sponsor. <laughs> Uh, digital sales and freebies, and we got the new freebies up this week. Uh, what we read this past week, which includes Thor number one, Plastic Man number one, and Detective Comics number 982. Ooh. Uh, what we're looking forward to coming out this week, a little dip into the art attack of Todd, um, and also discussion of the most recent episode of Cloak and Dagger, and both Todd and I saw... The number one film at the box office this past weekend, comic book superhero adjacent Invincible or Incredibles number two. Invincibles number two. Stop <laughs> looking at your notes, dum dum. All right, I won't. <laughs> oh, you're smooth, Joe. Mm-hmm. I'm a smooth criminal. <gasps> Ooh. Right. So, uh, my, one of the many anniversaries that are coming up, as we discussed last week, we're upon the 25th anniversary of Vertigo Comics, which is why it's getting the big relaunch of the brand and all that sort of jazz here later this year. But also, there is going to be a 30th anniversary Hellblazer book coming out. Mm -hmm. And who better to celebrate this than my friend Real Estate Steve, also known as Kabuki Sting. Oh, okay. Since the book was based on him and his likeness, right? Yep. Even, I don't think, uh, 
I'm I'm pretty sure Jamie Delano, the original writer and creator of Hellblazer, wasn't watching Bill Watts' Mid-South Wrestling at the time for the inspiration for his British wise-cracking magician. Okay, for the record, though, it wasn't Delano who created him. Oh, no? Oh, no, it was it, Alan Moore, because it was in the pages of Swampy. Yep, a Swamp Thing uh, 37, and it was John Toddleman, so... Oh, and I thought, because uh, Delano did, like, the first, uh, like, issue. single issue, right? Right. Yeah, he was writing the book early on, um, because I think by the time they gave John Constantine a book, Alan Moore was off Swamp Thing and on to other, other things. Mm-hmm. He, I don't know if that was, he had left DC by that point, but, uh, I mean, and everybody just said, he, even Toddleman said back in the day, that he was like, yeah, it was Sting. It was Sting. And DC was like, yeah, don't mention the Sting thing. Like, we can't do likenesses and stuff like that. So, and I even remember I've told this story. I've told this story on the show. I don't know if I should or not, but, uh, where. Story when, again. Story again. When Maxwell Lord was created for Justice League International, that, if you go back to the first issues, in the first issue, he looked like Sam Neill from the uh, explosive uh, Jurassic Park movies. Yes. And he also looked like Christopher Walken. And both times he got forced to change the, the looks to a more generic businessman look. Because <laughs> DC don't like their, like, you know, get, they don't want any lawsuits flying their way. We're like Marvel, unless it's Funky Flashman, because that could be anybody. Yeah, who could that be? Or Mr. Miracle. That could be Sterenko. Who knows? Uh, But is this the first time that Sting... uh, What's his name? Gordon Shumway? What's Sting's shoot name? (laughs) That's Alf. I get the two confused. I mean, they look alike, don't they? But, uh, yeah, I don't know Sting's real name, but... uh... I know he's mentioned it that say he's mentioned it before that they look alike, but I don't know. Yeah, you know, like I said, I don't know if this is the first. I think this is the first time he's ever written anything for for the books. Right. This is I, to me at least, as far as I know, this is the first public acknowledgement that he did the little video and he's writing the forward for like the big anniversary collection. Mm-hmm. So I think they should get Matt Ryan's wig to do the oh. forward. At least I hope he wore Matt Ryan's wig while he wrote it. Oh, that would be fantastic. The one that what's the guy's name? The 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 guy who works for the agency who was running around he wore the wig at the end of the the season. Todd, that was like f- 4 weeks ago. I can't You need to get that actor on the show. That's who we need. Uh but I will say this, I do like the um issues that are s- collected in said collection. Where, you know, you get those early stories, you get the first appearance, and then here's a bunch, and it just says, and other stories that reflect the best stories of the long-lasting series, and it gives a whole bunch of whatevers, right? Mm-hmm. I'm all down for them doing that. Hellblazer was so good for... Like, here's the sampler. Like, here's the here's the greatest hits. Mm-hmm. Instead of like, oh, we're going to put the first 20 out in a collection, enjoy... Four of the issues Here, are good. Sorry about that. Here's the Hellblazer written by Neil Gaiman. Here's, like, all the one-shots by probably, like, Garth Ennis is in there. And, like, just... But my thing is, that that book ran 300 issues, bunch of specials and annuals and stuff like that. Ran 300 issues. For the most part, I would say 200 
of those issues were amazing. Were like it had Warren Ellis, Brian Ezra, Garth Ennis. Like those are just some of the names off the top of my head who were writing that book. It fell apart the last like forty or so issues, and then they canceled it and they jumped John over to the mainstream DC universe, and he's never been the same since. So that's I, I'm not a fan of him being the superhero type that he is in the in the comics instead of or in the mainstream as he was in Vertigo as like the dingy magician in London. Mm-hmm. Now he's like, "Oh, I'm interacting with Superman every other day." Right, cuz I do remember there was the two issue little run that uh Jason Aaron did when he was still uh at DC doing Scalped. He did two issues of Hellblazer? Yes. Oh my god. Uh-huh. I see I thought the only thing that he ever did was scalped and that penguin one shot. Nope, he did scalped, he did the penguin one shot, and he did like this uh Vietnam era miniseries. Oh, now I have to go back and find those two issues. I know I read them, but yeah. I don't remember them. It's I, I knew it was in the forties, right? And mm-hmm. when I was looking at the list, I was hoping that it would be those issues, and sadly it is not. Mm, big um, mistake. They're good. They're not, you know, they're not great. They're not the best things Jason Aaron has ever written. But as Todd mentioned, I think the biggest failing of John Constantine Hellblazer, you know, Hellblazer the book, is that it was always the second best Vertigo book. When, yeah. When it was when it was firing on all cylinders, as Todd says, with those two hundred issues, and it wasn't the first two hundred issues that were great, but like of the first like two hundred fifty issues. 200 of them are great, right? Mm-hmm. During that time, Sandman was there. Preacher was there. There was always something else that was the critic darling. Fables. Fables, or whatever it was. So Hellblazer, even doing its absolute best, was always number two. Right. Which ain't bad to be when number one is Sandman, or Preacher, or Fables, or Swamp Thing, or whatever it is, you know? You're right. You're right. Um, and that's the book that got... That pretty much launched Garth Ennis's career, mm-hmm. and then even then he had that issue where he's like, "Oh, there was a angel and a and a demon that had a baby," but that's not Genesis because <laughs> <laughs> then maybe I, they'd own Genesis and Preacher. But if I do it my way, I own Genesis and Preacher. <laughs> uh, when did comics become a business, Joe? Not yet. Okay. Soon. Uh, so speaking of DC and speaking of their imprints, we had discussed last week how some books, as they're being released, are coming out under the Black Label imprint, uh, mm-hmm. the first of which being the collection of Batman White Knight is going to be as a Black Label book. Uh, DC did announce some of the other books, uh, specifically Batman Damned, which is a Brian Azzarello, Lee Brahamo book uh, that comes out in September. The Bat or the Superman Year One by Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. that is coming out later this year, and then the other history of the DC Universe. So those are like the original three launch titles, and now they're finally coming out here at the end of the year. But more importantly, a lot of older stuff when they get reprinted are now going to be black label stuff, uh, stuff hmm. like uh, All- uh, the Grant Morrison All Star Superman, Darwin Cook's New Frontier, Kingdom Come. Um, and then it says here that Batman Year One and Batman Dark Knight Master Race are going to be, are going to be reprinted going forward under the black label, whatever. 
makes me wonder if Dark Knight Returns is ever going to be under the Black Knight level it, uh, label. It's not listed as such, which is odd. That was but, the part that I wanted to mention. Like, so I guess Black Label is officially their Elseworlds, but adult readerist stuff. But I guess not really because Kingdom Come does happen. It's part of Hypertime. Okay, this is we're gonna get deep here, and that's why we're talking about it. That's what the right. show is about: going deep two, on this sort of nonsense. Right. Two things. First of all, I'm just gonna do this real quick. Um, isn't Black Label such a cooler name than Elseworlds, though? No. Yes, it is. I never liked the Elseworlds. I love Elseworlds. I, I always felt Elseworlds was a name that they just threw together when they couldn't get the cool name that Marvel had. The what ifs. What if is a gr- is the best of the best of these things? Mm-hmm. These alternate, like not in continuity, like what if Batman was a vampire? So we can't use that. So let's do Elseworlds. I really don't think they tried. Black Label sounds really cool. It sounds like a drink, first of all. But you don't um, know what you're getting. That's my only thing about it. Like what you don't is know that? What mean? you're getting with Elseworlds either? Yeah, you do. It's a it's a world where something else happens. Well, that's why you do branding, Joe. Oh, okay. So for Black Label, so I like Black Label better. But now, with me, with Dark Knight Returns not being a part of it, I'm wondering if, because now, the Master Race Dark Knight is early on where they're like, all right, we're doing our hardcovers, we're doing our trades. So you're still putting out your different versions. Like, it's going to be a new printing of something. Like I said, like, you start with the hardcovers, then you work your way down to the trades or whatever. So they could go right into Black Label. My thinking of is with Dark Knight Returns, they might be sitting on... 50,000 copies of that that are under the DC logo. So now you have to wait until you sell all those off until you can put it under the black label thing. Do you know what I mean? Okay. So next time the, it is to be reprinted, it will be under the black label, uh, imprint imprint. That's, that's one of the things that I'm thinking. If that makes any sense to what I'm trying to say. But it, it, it's scattershot. So if this is essentially taking over for Elseworlds, mm-hmm. why are other Elseworlds stuff not being in here? Like, why is Gotham by Gaslight not in here? Why is Batman Dark Rain or Red Rain not in this? Because they're not being reprinted again yet. Like, aren't they all in, like, the best of an Elseworld trade paperback that's out there? Okay, so now, does best of an Elseworld trade paperback when that gets reprinted does that become best of black label i bet it does i really do i really think that they're going to push they're going to wipe elseworlds out completely from their vernacular and their branding Yep. yep so the other thing is you know as i mentioned kingdom come was an elseworlds book but because hypertime was a thing it became you know part of the regular dc continuity mm-hmm All-Star Superman was, you know, an out-of-continuity story, I guess, but outside of Grant Morrison's stories, never really touched on. I'll give you New Frontier, because that's a book that kind of doesn't fit into any sort of category. But you're arguing, like, oh, like, Hypertime. Hypertime, I don't even remember if it exists now. I think they mentioned it came back. But all these... All these, like, Red Rain and uh, all these Elseworlds titles. Don't you remember when, like, they had Countdown to uh, 
to uh, Final Crisis, and they had Arena. All these characters were fighting because they were on alternate Earths. Right. So they're technically part of continuity. They're just not in our time. They're other. They're other Earths. Mm-hmm. So they all exist. So and technically, remember, they even have a Earth that Kingdom Come happened on. So it's a black label book, but it's on an alternate earth i think it comes down to anything that's not main continuity of the earth that the regular dc heroes are on that's a black label slash alternate earth which used to be called what elseworlds so there you go all right real simple i think let uncle todd walk you through it (laughs) clear as mud thanks for helping (laughs) oh boy okay so uh, the other DC big announcement from this past week that we were hoping was out before we finished last week's show, but it was not, and that is the next Crisis event from DC, uh, which is going to be written by Tom King with art by Clay Mann, who have been doing great work on the current Batman book. Uh, this is called Heroes in Crisis, uh, which essentially is going to be Sanctuary, which is, I guess, a place that was set up, uh, or to be set up. Uh, does it exist currently? I think it does because I was looking somewhere online at a site that had like all the hints that Tom King has dropped mm-hmm. to Sanctuary, and somewhere like in the early Batman run, he tells somebody he's like he's like you're broken, I'll take you to Sanctuary, mm-hmm. and so I'm guessing it technically does exist right now. Right, we so just haven't seen it. It just says uh, when Sanctuary fails to provide adequately for its patients and what happens in the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, this sounds like, Hey, I am Tom King and I want to do identity crisis. I kind of disagree. Okay. Cause what do you mean by he wants to do identity crisis? That story was really bad with some great scenes. Okay. Identity Where, Crisis is a murder mystery that brings all the heroes together. Like, okay. at its loosest form, right? Mm-hmm. This is a miniseries of a murder mystery that brings all the heroes together. Kind of like when they shot Blue Beetle, too? Right, right. So, um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but I I'm think it's going to be a different bad, story. I'm not saying this is a bad thing, because I will agree, um, you know, I know people who, them getting back into comics was Identity Crisis, and I know people that read Identity Crisis in the midst of their comic fandom and stopped being fans, and I know people like you and I that read Identity Crisis during the midst of their comic fandom and are still here. Mm-hmm. By the way, though, I will say all uh, with Identity Crisis, the scene where Robin pleads with Batman to drive faster to his parents' house mm-hmm. is one of the greatest scenes in comic history. Oh yeah, there's but, good scenes in there, but overall, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a little, it's a little messy. It, to me, there's even a great scene in Final Crisis, but that's a whole other thing. So, so anything could have a great scene. So I, I only say this because I do have a little bit of trepidation going into this just because the premise of it sounds like something I wouldn't enjoy, but mm-hmm. Tom King doesn't write bad comic <laughs> books. That's right. Yes. And the only thing I'm sad is he didn't announce it on Seth Meyers. Because I watched and he said nothing about this. No? Yeah, I watched. It was all about the Batman wedding. That's all. 
And did you know Uh-oh. that uh, that Tom King was the CIA agent? No, I did not know that. Or an agent or something, because he used to say, like, like Seth was like, when you went on your things, like, to other countries, were you, like, a comic guy? He's like, yeah, it was the best cover. He's like, who thinks that, that an agent, an American agent, is going to be, like, in a Flash shirt reading, you know, this comic? He's like, well, all the other guys are, like, doing this or that. I'm like, yeah, I'm just Comic Joe going to this town or something like that. I was like, holy crap. I find this fascinating. Well, if we ever bump into Tom King at a convention, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll have to ask him about this. If I ever bump into Tom King in a, in a convention, I'm going to be like, this is for Paraguay, and dive at him. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and see what happens. You're going to try to guess what his um, his keyword is that wakes him up from being a sleeper agent? No, I, I'm going to make him think that he, like, double-crossed me in some third-world country. <laughs> He's going to be like, was I in Paraguay? Did I screw this guy over? Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, again, Tom King doesn't write bad comic books, so uh, I'll check this out. That's Me all. Too. Uh, so, just kind of moving off to other things. Uh, as we talked about last week or a week or two ago, I forget when it was, uh, that Dark Horse is going to be doing comics based on Mystery Science Theater, where it's going to be... The boys talking about uh, kind of taking the uh, Mystery Science Theater method to some old public domain comic books and having some fun with them with the actual writers and staff of the current Netflix series, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Dark Horse has now also announced that they're going to be doing comics based off the hit Netflix show Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pitch for the little miniseries that is coming out is it's what happened to Will while he was stuck in the upside down during the first season. He didn't get a lot of action in that first season. <laughs> no. Um, so I'm excited for this. I'm intrigued by this because I really enjoyed the first two seasons of Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first thing that got me to binge watch something in a very long time. Uh, however, I'm concerned because it doesn't look like the Duffer Brothers or anyone involved with the TV show are directly involved with this. That's my big not and that's not even my biggest problem mm-hmm. is because the Duffer brothers but like I've read a lot of like licensed products and yes. comics and they're they're usually not very good. That's the one thing is like because it, it's a tough road is if we do everything exactly the same we're just copying it and you're getting nothing new. If we're too different you don't like it. So it's a weird balance. Like, as much as I like, you know, Doctor Who when I was reading the comics, like, they, they'd have, like, all right, we're doing all the current Doctors. So we'll have, like, a, a, an ongoing for 9, 10, 11, 12. And, and you'll be like, okay, this run of 9 was good, but then, like, the next storyline was terrible, but 10 was good. And anything else, like, pretty much any other book like that of a movie or a comic with the exception of like star wars for marvel this run like 50 issues almost or that and it's been really good but everything else that i read i'm like oh i i don't know and i'm worried especially like you said now without the duffer brothers i don't know how good it's gonna be and i want i'm gonna try it but we'll see right i just want to mention it of course because uh again dark horse trying to get some more media properties under their umbrella 
Uh, last but not least, and I think the most recent hottest news to come off the press, is that Amazon, as part of his uh, deal over there, is going to turn the Robert Kirkman book, Invincible, into an animated series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot, we did the story a while back, that Kirkman moved his deal from AMC over to Amazon Studios. Uh, it's slated to be an eight-episode, hour-long series to start off, and from the pitch of it, it sounds like it's starting right from the beginning, uh, which I think was some of the strongest stuff that the book had. Uh, I always kind of pitched it as a mix between Ultimate Spider-Man and Superman with a twist. Mm-hmm. Now, they also mention, as I read the press release, that the movie is still out there, uh, you know, that it's being allegedly made into a script, uh, a movie at Universal Pictures. Yay! Sadly, the creative team behind the Preacher TV show, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, <laughs> are involved with the movie, so I'm not sure how I feel about that. It's Preacher coming back this Sunday, by the way. Just mm-hmm. so you know. I'm right on top of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, Invincible is one of those, uh, books that I've loved for a very long time. You know, I think kind of, you know, we talked before about how Hellblazer was always the number two book at Vertigo. No matter how good it was, it was never going to be Sandman or everything else, where as good as Invincible is and was, it was never going to be Walking Dead. Yeah. The same way Outcast will never be Walking Dead mm-hmm. and... I mean, it's just the juggernaut that you know that that the book was, and that's one of those things that we actually split on. I've never, I've never read an issue of Invincible, so mm-hmm. like everything I know about it is, I'll tell you all the stuff I know about Invincible. It's a cross between Ultimate Spider-Man and Superman. I heard that. That's it. That's all I know as of right now about yep. Invincible. So maybe I'll check out the, the the cartoon. You know? Yes, animated series, Todd. We call them animated series. Uh, we don't call them. They're they're not action figures. They're not dolls. They're action figures. Right. Well, actually, in the press release, it says it's an adult animated series. Oh, it's the black label of cartoons. Yes. Like heavy metal was back in the day. <laughs> but I'm glad it's being picked up for series. That it's not going to be like part of like the pilot series where it's like here's four other shows. The first episode, whatever one gets watched the most, we're going to turn into a TV show, mm-hmm. and then you know, kind of falls by the wayside. Um, but I'm glad, I'm glad it's being made into something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's all. Animated Psych- series, yay. Uh, creative team behind the movie, we could skip that. Side note, mm-hmm. um, of shows that fell through the cracks with pilots. Did you know Scalped is not happening? Yeah, I knew. That kind of came and went, sadly. Only because I know, because of, uh, Westworld, as I was, I, I don't know if we were talking about that, is there was a character on it who's, uh, a, a Native American, uh, he's one of the robots that goes that's wandering around the park, and he was in the scalped pilot. And I just saw Jason Aaron tweet. He's like, "That was an amazing episode of Westworld." The character, the actor who played that character, he goes, I, "You would have loved him as so and so in Scalped." And I'm like, "Oh, this is the first time hearing that Scalped isn't going to happen." And I'm kind of sad. Yeah, oh, I try well. to only bring good news to the show. You know, like when it got announced that it wasn't getting picked right. up. Oh, I know. I just didn't know if you knew. And also, there's a second season of Outcast. Right. Uh, I heard there's a second season, a new second season of Outcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. July, coming in July. Hmm. So, uh, that I think covers up the news. Mm Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> covers it up. Yes, we threw some dirt on it. <laughs> yep, yep. So let's get into convention stuff. There's a bunch of conventions happening this weekend. Now, I want to remark, um, off the, right off the rip with the, uh, conventions. Last week we discussed the, uh, Supernova Comic and Gaming Con in Sydney, Australia. Mm-hmm. Well, that same company, uh, is doing the Supernova in Perth, Australia this weekend. With the okay. same exact guest lineup that they had at the other convention last week. If you're going to fly a bunch of people out to Australia, why not get two conventions out of them, I say? Well, yeah, why not? Like, it's going to be a vacation for them, so... Right. Move it around. Run, run the Australian territories for a while. That's right. Run the Maritimes, as it will. Oh, Okay. So, some of the other uh, conventions uh, happening this weekend. The Fandemic Tour in Sacramento, California. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bella Twins are going to be there. Ooh. Uh, Bruce Campbell, who for some reason I thought had retired from doing conventions. No, he just retired from playing Ash. Oh, okay. Uh, Michael Rooker, Robert England is going to be there, so that looks like a uh, a, a fun convention. The, where am I looking here? The Corpus Christi Con in Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, world wrestling entertainer and yoga enthusiast Diamond Dallas Page are going to be there. As is Michael Rosenbaum. The Flash, a.k.a. Lex Luthor. Right. Uh, the Mississippi Comic Con in some city in Mississippi that I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Jake the Snake Roberts is going to be there. Is he at a casino? No, no. I hear he's I'll at a. Only... Meet, I'm. I'm. He, I hear he's at a two man show this week with uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Ooh, that sounds like uh, something I want to see. I'll only ever see Jake the Snake at a casino. That's the only way. I hear Hacksaw Jim Duggan sells many two by fours at his uh, appearances. I've told you that. Yes, he signs them and everything. Uh, so that's a convention going on. The Smallville Comic Con in Hutchinson, Kansas is happening. It's not in Smallville? No. Well, I guess uh, Hutchinson is the stand-in for Smallville. Mm, uh, okay. Which a plethora of uh, people who played Superman-related characters on TV are going to be there. Most right. notably, Corin Nemec is going to be there. Who's Corin Nemec? Uh, Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Oh! Right. You had the same reaction last time that he made a convention appearance. And I didn't know who he was. I love that show. Right. I'm just glad he hasn't, like, uh, gone down an Allison Mack-style road. Whoa. Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, no, he was doing a couple conventions here and there about six, seven months ago, and then kind of disappeared. Now he's back, and that's good to see. Yep. Wasn't because he was, you know, arrested or anything, allegedly. Right. So, uh, the two conventions that I was saving for last here is the St. Louis Comic Con on St. Louis, Missouri. Jim Shooter is going to be there, and James O'Barr, just off the top of my head, right? Nice guy, James O'Barr. Okay, so, the biggest convention that's happening this weekend, I would say, is the Cottage Country Con in Aurelia, Canada. Uh, where you've got a couple media-type guests are going to be there. Butch Patrick is going to be there. 
uh, <laughs> wrestling folks like Nikolai Volkov, Tito Santana, and <sighs> Brutus the Something Barber Beefcake. But on the comic book side of things, Jim Starlin's going to be there, Kevin Eastman's <laughs> going to be there, and James is going to be there. But wait a minute. I don't know how James O'Barr is going to be in St. Louis and Canada at the same time this weekend. But if anyone can do it, it's him. I don't know. Uh, maybe he's going to turn into the crow and fly there. Maybe. He could send his kabuki friend to be there in his place. Lots of kabuki, hot kabuki talk on right. this show. Now, again, I'm just checking both sites just to make sure because sometimes things happen where people get announced and then canceled off and so forth but no both the uh, both show sites uh still have james obar listed maybe james is going one day to this one and one day to that one that's a, that's a hike todd what it's everything's like an hour away up in canada from saint listen i've had this conversation many a times with people as much as I think everyone is, everything is right next to each other in Canada, everything in Canada is not next to St. Louis. It's not? I know that much, Todd. I was pretty sure, but... I don't know much, but I know that. You are the geography major on the show. Now, it does say both shows are two days, 23rd and 24th. And on neither site does it say... Now, okay, now I will say this... <laughs> the Cottage Country Con, while it is the 23rd and 24th, on the 22nd is a special pre-show evening with the Crow, meet and greet with James O'Barr, autograph photo op, plus watch the movie with James, and a Q&A after the movie. If that's the fake one, that's going a <laughs> long way. I mean, that is committing to the bit right, right there if you're the fake one. Well, not the fake one, but the one that he's going to no-show. I don't know. So right. it's going to be interesting to see how he could uh, do both of these is all. I'm going to look into this to find out which one he was at. Right. You put on... You uh, you take off your uh, John Cena hat and put mm -hmm. on your Sherlock Holmes hat and get to the bottom of this one. Oh, all right. I was going to put on my Lenny Briscoe hat, because he's the greatest detective ever, but that's it. Is that Briscoe County Jr.'s brother or something? No, that's from Law & Order, Lenny oh. Briscoe. You know, I've never seen... There was a big discussion about those shows last week on uh, the old Twitter. I have never seen, uh, from beginning to end... Like, I'm sure that I've been at someone's house where it's been on, right? So you got me on a technicality there. Mm -hmm. Or I may, may have seen the clip, the meme... Of, uh, what's-his-face putting on the sunglasses? That's CSI, different show. Okay, any of those shows. Mm -hmm. Law & Order, SVU, Criminal Intent, uh, Suspicious Minds. Uh, Criminal Minds. Whatever the show is. Any of those hour-long crime procedural shows, I've never seen any of them. Ever. Not even Lucifer? Not even Lucifer, which I think is going to be on Netflix now, right? Yep. Good my, Good for Lou. Good for Lou. Yeah, my sister-in-law was a big uh, Criminal Minds fan. That's like she would say like we stuff would stop because she was watching Criminal Minds. So whenever she was around I I used to sing my Criminal Minds theme song that I made up 
just to drive her nuts, and then now she sings it when the show is on. So it's fantastic. You've you've ruined the show for her. Yes, I have. So if you're going to the St. Louis Comic Book Convention or that (laughs) cottage country con in Aurelia, Aurelia, Canada, you could be the one to tell us if James O'Barr was at one or both of those shows. That's right. And you can find out more information about those shows, those conventions, and all the other things over in the show notes for this, as well as a link to soon to be named network.com and soon to be named network.tumblr.com, where anytime any of these shows of our friends, and I say our friends because I don't think that that Cinema Vertigogo show is officially part of our network, but our good buddy DJ and his wife Michelle were on there talking about the film Heredity. Hereditary? I don't know. It's but a, either way, I'm terrified of what it is. Okay, it's a recent horror movie that came out. Uh, these folks do a horror movie podcast. Uh, DJ and Michelle were over their house during the tornado that we had in northeastern Pennsylvania last week. Ugh. And you could pinpoint, because they're, they're recording during uh, the tornado. Mm-hmm. And not to... If, you, if you're a horror movie person, if you, if you saw Heredity... Hereditary? Heredity? I don't know what the name is. <laughs> you catch what I'm saying with the movie. It's a new right. horror movie, right? <laughs> so, uh, there's a point in the recording of the show where it comes up on one of the co-show that there's a tornado warning, and they kind of get a little panicked. And they're like, oh, we should get to shelter. We should do this. We should do that. And DJ goes, yeah, we're fine. Let's keep going. <laughs> yeah. Which, when we were getting the tornado warnings here, and my mother-in-law was calling the house, that was exactly my reaction. Like, April and Asa were sleeping, and I'm like, yeah, we're fine. We're okay. See, you don't know. What's worse, someone creeping in the window and stealing Asa, or a tornado taking Asa away? Whisking, well, at least at least you'd get April at the same time, so they'd be together. Oh, okay. Uh, but of course, you know, if DJ's on another show and he reminds me or I see it, I'll put it on there. Uh, Podvocacy, uh, Profane Argument, Everlasting Minute, Puzzle Warriors 3, Fresher and Powerlands, uh, any of these shows. Of course, our shows, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark. No uh, hot Italian ice talk this week. <laughs> we do have the reveal of the next soon-to-be-named movie special thing that we'll be discussing for next week's After Dark. And as always, if you need to go to your local library to check it out, you can ask me ahead of time and I'll stooge it off. I got no problem with that. Right. It's only a secret to Todd. What? Right. Like, you can't know what the movie is beforehand. Mm Mm-hmm. But before the episode comes out on Friday, if someone contacts me and says, I want to watch the movie, what is it? So I can go to try to find it to watch it before next week. I'll tell you. Wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey. Right. So also over in the show notes is going to be the digital sales and freebies that are currently going on. Uh, as always, it's a bunch of holdovers from the last couple weeks. Uh, image-branded Skybound stuff is on sale. Dynamite Garth Ennis stuff is on sale. Titan Doctor Who stuff is on sale. Vertigo Fantasy stuff is on sale. Uh, the IDW Transformer sale... It's still going on until the end of July. Uh, IDW is also added. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen adjacent stuff, uh, which also includes From Hell and any of the little spinoffs that they did, like something called the Bo Jeffries Saga. 
<laughs> Bo Jeffries was, uh, I don't, you said was part of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? It's part of the sale. Well, it's not part, it's just something written by Alan Moore. Oh, okay. It has nothing, I don't know what the story was, because I think I have a Bo Jeffries saga somewhere, because I buy everything that Alan Moore used to do. But I never read it, but I know it's not part of the League of Extraordinary, Extraordinary Gentlemen stuff. Gotcha. Uh, Neil Gaiman stuff that he put out through Dark Horse is on sale, which I think is mostly just American Gods stuff. I think there was a... Who, who was the character Michael Moorcock wrote? Uh, I don't know. There was a couple other things that he did for Dark Horse at the time. Yeah, there's a couple, two, three things like murder mystery stuff or yes, something. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Marvel is having a sale, something they're calling Marvel Team-Ups, which is just a bunch of different collections of... Like, oh, here's Spider-Man teaming up with a bunch of people. Here's this person teaming up with a bunch of people, like Wolverine and so on and so forth. Now, just perusing the list very quickly, may I recommend to you, the listener, as something to check out, uh, I would recommend Supervillain Team-Up Modox 11. <laughs> Not inspired by the current Ocean's 8 film in theaters. I didn't see the first seven, so... Mm-hmm. And also included in this sale is the uh, Spider-Man Human Torch uh, four-issue miniseries done by Dan Slott with art by Ty Templeton. Hmm. Is there any of the original supervillain team-up with Namor and Doctor Doom? Let me look. Because that is one of my favorite like Doom runs ever, which I have a trade of that. I actually have to pick those up in single issues. Now that I think about it. Looks like it's a lot of Marvel team-up. Mm-hmm. Does not look like it's supervillain team-up, but I am looking at the list. Gotcha. Because when you said the Modoc supervillain team-up, I was like, not that one. Give me the Doctor Doom one. The list's order is a bit janky. What? Are you saying the website's kooky? Like, it's not in alphabetical order. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. A lot of Power Man and Iron Fist on this list is all I'm saying. Well, they were they were a team up, I guess. Uh, as I guess as I've just kind of like bopping through the list, the first six issues of the Brubaker Fraction Iron Fist is in this, and that was really okay. good. I don't know why that was a team up. Yeah, I don't know why either, but it's in the sale. Todd, I don't ask the- questions anymore with these sales. What? I wonder if they have the Kirkman team-up, Marvel team-up. Do you remember those? Uh, ooh, you know, I don't see it, but I do see Ultimate team-up is included in this. Okay. When Bendis was doing, like, uh, it'd be, like, him and a new a new artist doing, like, oh, here's Ultimate Spider-Man teaming up with Black Widow drawn by Terry Moore sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. Oh, here it is. Supervillain team-up is in here, Todd. That... I highly recommend that if you're a Doctor Doom fan. There you go. In in in, in an issue, he fights the Red Skull on the moon. <laughs> Can't beat that. Uh, looks like it's 17 issues in a giant size. Yes. I think there might have been two giant sizes. I'm not saying it's not in the sale, but I, there but is I know there were two giant sizes. Why would they look all at, be on the same page together? Look at me go, Joe. Mm-hmm. Check out the big memory on Todd. <laughs> I want a hamburger now. 
get one on high at International House of Bruce Pritchard. Oh, okay. Last but not least, Todd, uh, DC is having a sale on Jeff Johns stuff. Oh. And Todd, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Jeff Johns wrote a lot of good comic books. Yes, he did. Uh, I, if I'm going to recommend you get anything out of this sale, a listener of this show, uh, I would get his run of Justice Society. JSA, specifically. Or was it Justice Society of America? JSA, because then it became Justice Society of America. Now, I don't want to be triggered into what they have available for you in this. Mm Mm-hmm. But let's just say it's going to be very difficult to get a full run <laughs> of what he wrote. But the first, uh, the first, like I guess, big giant trade, which is fifteen issues and the secret files, which is essentially right. like an oversized zero issue, is six bucks. That's not a bad deal. That's a fantastic deal. But I know how you love when they do these sales and it's it's piecemealed out and not everything is there. The only thing you like better is when they when they don't finish trading a run of a book. <sighs> anyway, uh, the links to those will be in the show notes, uh, as will the uh, new uploaded freebies available. Uh, the most recent Ed Brisson Bullseye number one is available for free. Daredevil End of Days, uh, not a tie-in to the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger film, <laughs> but that Great used movie. to be a perennial freebie, where that was like on the freebie list like once a month or like once every other month. Uh, first issue of Invincible Iron Man by Matt Fraction, which is a really underrated run, I think. And, Me too. Uh, the red letter pick of free books for the next three weeks, or however long they do these things for, is Thing Number One, written by Dan Slott. That was a fabulous run. Yes, I think we did the one of the issues of that run for Todd and Joe have issues. Yep, the final one, issue yep. eight, I believe. That book died way too soon. Yeah, sadly. Sad enough, sad enough. Fair play to you. So, digital sales and freebies out of the way. Let's get into what we read from this past week. Todd, I'm going to ask you to kick things off. Yes, I'm going to start with the book I believe we were both looking forward to the most, which was Thor number 1, which has two stories in it. We're going to start with God of Thunder Reborn, which was written by Jason Aaron and uh, drawn by artist Mike Del Mundo. Um, basically, after uh, Mighty Thor with uh, uh, Jane Foster Thor, the fallout of this happened is Asgard has been destroyed, you know, the people scattered, everything going on. We find out that when Asgard was destroyed, that all the, the powerful objects that were stored on Asgard have been scattered everywhere. So now Thor has taken it upon himself, or uh, I'm sorry, Odin's son has decided to take it upon himself to track them down. But he does not have a hammer, or does he have all the hammers? Um, <laughs> and I'm going to go with all the hammers, because he's been uh, having the dwarves uh, forge him new hammers to see which one's going to work. But they're not as good as Mjolnir, because the Uru isn't as pure. Um, while this is all going on, he's off to, you know, getting uh, these artifacts. Uh, we find out that... Uh, the shield agent that uh, from the run, the female, I can't think of her Roz name. Roz Sampson. 
Roz Sampson is putting together a place for misbegotten, you know, uh, Asgardian people that are displaced from all this. She's she's building a, like a wayward home for them, and also uh, Odin's son is upset because uh, Malekith the Dark Elf is attacking all these other realms, but because Asgard is destroyed and the Rainbow Bridge is destroyed. Um, they don't have a way to get to these other realms. So in that, someone pops up to make Thor an offer to get him there, and it doesn't go quite the way they plan. Um, <laughs> so, I'm, I mean, right off the bat, I love I love this run uh, of so far, but I'm a big sucker for the toxic masculinity of Odin's son. Um, I'm a sucker for a character a la Jonah Hex, Conan the Barbarian, or Thor, whether it's like, I have a problem, shoot it, stab it, or hit it with a hammer. Those are my answers. And we're back to that. He's very angry. Um, and I loved it. I thought it looked great. Uh, like I said, I think this might be the final act of Jason Aaron's Thor run, and I'm all for it. Right. We'll get into the second part here shortly, but yes, I really like right, the I, first part of this. Um I don't typically love Del Mundo's art. Right. It's a bit of an acquired taste. In this issue, it tasted like Ben and Jerry's uh, chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only complaint I have is in the battle that Thor has, and again, spoilers, uh, the battle that he has up front in the book with the Juggernaut is that the Juggernaut does not have his bazooka like he has in the video games. Oh, okay. I did not know. And he didn't say his classic line, I'm the juggernaut. Hmm. I'm the juggernaut. Look out! Yeah, I think he says something else. Right. Um, and I like the quest that's set up. I like the relationships that are set up. All the characters that we know and love throughout the Jason Aaron run are here. And, you know, it kind of ends on like a little bit of a cliffhanger. Like an un... Ex- well, an expected, unexpected relationship... And Thor has a quest that he has to go on. He's still not Thor yet. Mm -hmm. So we still don't know how he's got the golden arm, and he's not just showed up as Thor and it's like, oh, we'll get there later. That's in Avengers. Right. Which, I don't know where the timeline on that works, especially since it's written by the same guy. But anyway, Mm -hmm. the backup story, Todd. Yes. So we get more. Second feature, I apologize. Second feature, which is more of King Thor and his three daughters. Right. And uh, I, I I don't want to give away the cliffhanger at the end of this one. Not that we give mm-hmm. away the cliffhanger in the end of the other one. Because in the spoiler talk about TVs and movies, there is an unrelated spoiler that I want to talk about. Okay. That doesn't make things wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Um, I'm all for this book being a couple extra bucks and double-sized if we're going to get more uh, Old Man Thor in it, but I think with the cliffhanger, it says to be continued in, like, issue four or something. Right, so it'll be, like, a one-shot story, or at least, or something. Right, but essentially the new world that uh, Old Man Thor, King Thor, whatever you want to call him, has created is starting to fail. Right, and maybe the universe is starting, because he's so far at the end of time, he created the world when there's nothing left in the universe, and how will, you know, it's imploding, or whatever you call the entropy with uh, the, you know, the ga- the universe, actually. Interesting. 
Right, and in the solicitation text for the issue, it just says, As King Thor of the Far Future encounters an old friend who's undergone some startling changes. <laughs> and that's about the best way I can explain that last page of the book. Yep, loved it, though. Loved it, exactly. Um, We talk about Thor all the time. Thor is Thor is Marvel's Batman on this show, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, my only concern at this point is, as Todd mentioned, that this feels as though it's amping up to be the end of Jason Aaron's run of the book. He mentioned when this issue came out, this is the, this is the sixth number one th- issue of Thor that he's written in his entire run, and he did say that it would probably be his last. He didn't say that it would be his last. He said it would probably be his last. He has no control over when they reboot books. <laughs> right. Uh, that being said, um... Whoever takes over Thor after Jason Aaron is going to have some uh, big hammers to lift, if you will. That's right. You don't want to be the guy after Jason Aaron. You want to be the guy after the guy who's after Jason Aaron. Here's an idea. <laughs> Out of the box, Todd. A little crazy. Person to take over Jason Aaron's Thor, Thor after Jason Aaron, David Lee Roth. Ooh, I was thinking Sammy Hagar. Okay, David Lee Roth. Then you bring in your real person. Gotcha. <laughs> He's the buffer. Uh, Jimmy Buffer? No, that's a different guy. That's the that's the uh, cockatoo head. Yeah, that's right. Pina Colada Berg, I think he sings. <laughs> so, Thor's good. If you're not reading Thor, you should be reading Thor. We say it all the time. Uh, new book came out this week from DC, and that was Plastic Man. Excuse me, Plastic Man number one. Uh, written by Gail Simone, with art by Adriana Milo. Milo? Nailed it. Right. Uh, so, this is... Well, I don't want to say it's a non-superhero book. It's definitely not taking place in whatever the continuity that has Plastic Man in the Terrifics. Mm-hmm. Is this the first Black Label book? Oh my god, it didn't have a Black Label on it, Todd. Uh, I d- I'm wondering if it would have been if it came out a little bit later. So the the issue starts with a bunch of thugs, a bunch of gangsters, kind of like, you know, he's set up as old-timey gangsters, but it's taking place in modern time. Putting the beat down on a dude. It's very obviously to us, the readers of the book, that it's Plastic Man. He takes the beating. Uh, a mysterious kid shows up, says Wang a bunch of times. And then Plastic Man, who is part of this crew, is off to solve the mystery of who shot the security guard on this heist and also runs afoul of possibly a bigger conspiracy that may go all the way up to the Justice League. Right. So, I like this book a lot. Uh, I'm a sucker for Gail Simone. Uh, I think she does her best kind of writing a goofy cornball character like this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever seen uh, Adriana Mello's art anywhere else, but I really liked her art. Uh, her art in this book, uh, how could I say it? It was kind of like a cleaner style that McFarlane did back in the 90s, if that makes any sense. Like a That's lot of the way that the faces and hair were done in the issue. But the noses aren't all scrunched up. Right, but the noses aren't all scrunched up. And then if you go and check out her online presence, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, whatever social media she does, you will see this book is not her normal art style. 
Uh, her normal art style is almost more of a painted, realistic-looking style. So kind of goes to show what a good artist she is. Um, I like the mystery that was set up. Um, I feel as though uh, this could have been just as easily what Gail Simone was doing in Deadpool, you know, 15 years ago. But it doesn't mm. feel stale. It feels fresh. Um, okay. It feels fun. I, I really like this book. I really like this book, too. Um, it's not my favorite thing by Gail Simone, but I, like we said, we're only the first issue in a six-part miniseries. Um, and on the art, I agree with you. It looks really good. But I think at times it gets a little wonky, like like uh, the – I don't know how to put it. Like She was putting a ton into this panel and then letting certain frames or panels kind of lapse. Hmm. I don't know how to explain it. Like when she knocked it out of the park, it was absolutely amazing. Like that first page where there's like a, like, you know, all the, the, the mafia guys or the gangster guys and the woman who's, you know, who's there like that blows it away. But then there's sometimes where she does one or two panels where I feel like she's not, she's taking a break on some of the detail. And to me, it was kind of, uh, uh, where it just seemed uneven. That's the otherwise I I loved her art through most of the book. That's okay. just my take on. It. I don't know if you could see it, but that's just me. Uh, I'm sure that could you know I I'm I might have been clouded by the good parts. Right. Yeah. I like I said I enjoyed it. I'm, I I want to read more. I want to see where it's going because I don't the mystery. And the conspiracy that may be going on, I'm I'm intrigued, and I want to see just how much of a black label this book might be. Mm-hmm. Like how, like when we start bringing the characters that they're kind of mentioning, if they're in the continuity, like what's going on with this book? I'm, yeah. I'm really intrigued. So it set up a good mystery. Um, Plastic Man is like on a list of like ten people that I'll always check out uh, whenever he shows up in a story. Right. Uh, last but not least that we're going to discuss from this past week is Detective Comics number 982 at the request of Todd. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is after the James Tinian run has ended, uh, written by Michael Morakai with art by S- Sebastian Fumera. Ooh, nailed them all. Right. Now, uh, a couple things about this. So... Humera's name sounded familiar to, to me. Uh, and apparently there's another Fumera, and again, I'm, I know I'm mispronouncing that, who has worked on the book Four Eyes with Joe Kelly. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's not that sort of art style, though. It's a different art style. I'm just trying to look up the information on this. Right, so there's a Max Fumera... And this is Sebastian Fumera. I wonder if they're related. Uh, with, you never know. With that same last name in the world of comics, you never know. Um, so it's a new creative team, but it's a creative team that's only going to be in the book for, I think, four issues. Because I think in August, uh, James Robinson is coming on the book. Yes, definitely. That's what I saw for a short run. Because we're closing in on a thousand of it. So I have a feeling... Uh, we're going to start hitting that stride as uh, to lead into the thousandth issue of Detective. Right. Uh, and again, this is not a knock on this writer in any way, shape, or form. And this is not de- uh, decrying the quality of this book, because I did like the book. But, Todd, do you like 
villain issues of a comic book? If they're good, okay, but not do, usually. Do you like a book that this issue 982 could have been issue 982 of Detective Comics? Or it could have been number 623 of Detective Comics? Or it could have been issue 592 of Detective Comics? It feels like that era in the early 90s where Detective Comics was doing like more of a horror slant. Mm-hmm. That's what this kind of feels like, and I do have to give props to the writer for using a Batman villain who I've never heard of in Deacon Blackfire. I know who Deacon Blackfire is. I have no idea who Deacon Blackfire is. He's a deacon whose last name is Blackfire. Right. Um, but they do a good job of explaining very quickly in like two panels. It's like, oh, he's a guy who did this. Last time we saw him, Spectre said he got rid of him, but obviously he didn't because now he's back as a ghost. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's attempting to corrupt the homeless uh, of Gotham City to have them cleanse Gotham City, burn it down as a distraction, so he can attempt to put his ghost spirit into a body of a kid that he kidnapped. And of course, it's a kid that he kidnapped who's right around the same age that Bruce was when Bruce's parents were taken away from him. So there's your crux of your storyline. There's literally one panel where other non-Batman Batman people show up in the book. Other than that, this is a perfectly good self-contained story. Uh, it could be continued in the next three issues of what uh, Morakai is going to do, or it could be self-contained and never be mentioned again. Right, because he's doing the, the next four, and this character was created by Jim Starlin, of all people, right. in uh, The Cult. I, I, I was on a Jim Starlin kick back in the day, so right, I, I know who the character is. That's back when Jim Starlin, world-famous guy who writes space stuff for Marvel, was writing horror Batman comics for DC. Right, when he killed Jason Todd. Right. People forget Jim Starlin was the one who killed Jason Todd. Right, so if you just kind of want an on it, like there's no mention of weddings, there's no mention of the Joker, there's no mention of sanctuaries, there's no anything <laughs> else like that. Do you want to read a Batman story where Batman uh, tries to incapacitate a bunch of innocent homeless people that are possessed by a ghost while trying to save a little boy? Then this is the Batman story for you. That was on my list of things I wanted to read this week. Right. So now I'll go buy that book. But was Batman wearing a silly hat in it? Because he's not in this. Oh. Is he Matches Malone at any point? No. Oh. I love Matches Malone. And just to backtrack just one bit, if we get through the entire six-issue miniseries of Gail Simone's uh, Plastic Man and Matches Malone doesn't show up, then really, what are we doing with comics anymore? I say that the next Marvel DC crossover should be, I always said, should be the alternate uh, ego of Wolverine and the alternate ego of Bruce Wayne. And it should be called Matches and Patches. No. Yes, that would be a million dollar idea. Well, you know what would happen when uh, Bruce leaves Wolverine in that story? What? And they do the one shot, it would be called Patches Alone. Okay. <laughs> See, instead of Matt, anyway. Patches. I got you. All right, all right. So that's I'll what we read together. That's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're reading this upcoming week. 
Uh, if you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern Time or so, we put up the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is that you get your books, be forewarned and be forearmed for all the books that are coming out this week. The two things that Todd and I do over the course of 2018 is one that we always do is attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. The other is keeping the running dollar tally of how much money we've spent on comic books. I'm almost at the precipice of $1,000 spent in comic books in the calendar year 2018. I think if I decide to pick up an extra book this week, that'll just put me over. If I was able to get something that would put me at an even 1000 I would get it, but I don't think there's any comic books that are currently selling for the low, low price of $2.34. I buy a back issue. Um, So, and $1,000 is in my rearview mirror. Right. You're, you're, you're about to lap that. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, I go first. I started the show. I'm looking at your list. Hmm. I'm going to guess the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is... Tony Stark Iron Man number one. It is Tony Stark Iron Man number one. Bingo, bango, sugar in the gas tank. I'm continuing my advancement of my lead. Currently at two correct guesses. Can Todd get this one right to narrow that lead? Is the book you're also looking forward to the most, Tony Stark Iron Man number one? It is. So still ahead by two correct guesses. Uh, but yeah, I'm just excited to see what uh, Dan Slott uh, is going to do with Iron Man. It's the first non-Spider-Man thing that he's written in 100 years, so it'll be interesting to see what he could do there. And it's the same week of his last uh, Spider-Man story. Right. And, you know, and and obviously that could have been, like, that's like 1A sort of thing, mm-hmm. because... I felt as if like 800 was a nice little wrap up. I have no idea what he could be doing in 801. Um, you know, 800 should have been like his last issue, but you know, we'll see what happens in 801. And uh, I want to give credit to my friend James, who, when I had said to him, <laughs> you'll appreciate this. Uh, when I said, I'm like, oh, I'm interested to see what, uh, Dan Slot's going to do in Iron Man, to which he replied, the same thing that he did in Spider-Man for the last two years. Oh, boy. <laughs> wow, are you saying that he had similar ideas from Iron Man and his Spider-Man run? Alleged- That's a smart friend you got there, Joe. That is a smart friend I got there. So, uh, while you're over at LongboxHeroes.com, of course, you can check out all the stuff that Todd and I, together as a collective unit, have done on the internet regarding comic books. Uh, whether it be past episodes of this show past episodes of After Dark. Um, I say get all of your uh, episodes of the show directly as a download from the site. Don't trust any podcatcher out there. None of them are reliable. The only podcatcher that's reliable is a text document of RSS feeds. Uh, You never know what you're going to catch from a podcatcher. Right. Uh, You can also buy something from our store, whether it be uh, shirts or stickers or pins with our fancy logo on it. Uh, or you can also purchase anything in the world to your heart's content through our Amazon click-through. Uh, you missed out on Father's Day. There's some other holiday coming up soon, I'm sure, that you could buy stuff for. Uh, some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week, Todd. Uh, someone, I'm sure, on our recommendation, 
purchased Immortal Hulk number one and Venom number two. We read those. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone also decided to get back into the world of Rock Band, the video game, by purchasing the Legacy Controller Adapter, a microphone, and one of the fancy clicky plastic guitars. Ooh, it sounds like fun. Someone also purchased a girls' nightclub bar LED pink neon sign. Someone also purchased a die-cut royal crown. And now there are items that get purchased multiple times. You know, people always need comic books. There's popular comic books that get purchased quite a bit. The hot DVD Blu-ray releases get purchased. But I would say that this is probably the weirdest item that has been purchased more than once. Isis Wings Belly Dancer Costume Prop, which is a gold one-piece leotard with sticks at the ends of the hands with giant silver wings. This is the second time someone has purchased this through our Amazon click-through link. Maybe they used it so much they wore it out. Or maybe somebody else heard them mention it on the, us mention it on the show, saw the person wearing it in public, and said, that's what I want to do. That is how fashion spreads. Right. So if you're the person who purchased one or both of these, uh, just like uh, Tristan, who sent us the picture of the stuff that he purchased through the click-through link, which included the uh, sleep apnea mask. Not being worn. Not being worn. But, uh, you know, if we mention your uh, purchase in the show, let us know so we can give you a shout-out. We like to share the wealth. I love the wealth. Mm-hmm. Another way that we share on the show is with Todd's Art Attack. Todd? Yes, we had multiple Art Attacks this week. Um, from Mr. Dystopia, who was at Denver Comic Con this weekend, picked up a uh, Spider Jerusalem Paul Pelletier, uh, by Paul Pelletier. It looks beautiful. I think he likes to collect Spider Jerusalem stuff. Um, because he's, I've seen a ton of it and it all looks really, really good. From Mega Contributor Euronymous, he got a doodle from Megacon from Mike Norton. Um, I'm not quite sure who it's supposed to be. Uh, it is from the comic book revival, which was, uh, by Mike Norton and Tim Seeley over at Image. I never read Revival, so I'm not recognizing the character that popped out. And also from T-Bolt 712, uh, there is a, I don't know how I want to see how you say his name, David Lafunete? Lafuente, I would guess. Lafuente? You see, you're better at that than me. Of a Runaways uh, drawing, um, which he said with uh, Thunderbolt said that uh, he's going to be doing more Runaways issues. So is this a coincidence or something more? Nico from the Runaways. I don't know any of the Runaways either. I never watched the show or read the comic. I do want to read the the comic, the Brian K. Vaughn run. Though. I heard it's pretty good. Yeah, it's real good. So if you have a piece to contribute to Todd's Art Attack, please tag me in it and uh, we'll mention it on the show. And I'll retweet it so all my wonderful fans can see them. Right. And then uh, I'll retweet it and the main show will retweet it and then we'll be uh, good to go. Everyone in the world will see it. Yeah, viral. We are very viral. Mm -hmm. So I think that's it before we get into TV talk Mm -hmm. and movie talk. Right. So uh, if you don't care about the TV movie stuff, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. Uh, and then at the very, very end of the show, 
uh, I might discuss with Todd spoiler stuff about something going on involving a wedding or something. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, uh, let's talk about Cloak and Dagger. This is the third episode of ten. Now, I know we had discussed this uh, last week, of course, uh, where they had the two episodes. This was... Uh, so, I guess what was going on here was Tandy and Tyrone were trying to figure out what's going on with themselves, and by doing so, um, Tyrone, in more of a spiritual way, kind of opening up his consciousness, where it's told to us in the show, it's essentially like getting a concussion, which Tandy gets, and that's how she is able to kind of go into whatever the shared thing that they have, Tyrone and Tandy. The uh, vision world or the, something. Right, I think... I don't know what it's called. I think it's like called the Dark Force Dimension in the comic books, but I can't right. imagine they're going to call it that in the, in the TV show. You never know. They have the. They now have the. Uh, the what, what do you call it? The the Voodoo people. So they might have a name for it. Right. Uh, but this is more of the building of the unity between these two characters. And less of all the horrible and graphic drug use and violence that we saw in the previous two episodes. That's right. It's them learning about each other through the visions that they're having. One through taking a bath with paprika and the other one having a concussion. Oh, paprika, the happiest spice in the world. It is. <laughs> um, so. so this this one, uh, I think, was a little bit slower because mm-hmm. obviously there's less action in it, but they're building towards something. The strength right. of thought... the first two episodes, I think, helped. And this one, you know, this... I think it's because we know the characters as much... You know, we, we kind of already went through what Tandy and Tyrone have, are going through for each other. We, as viewers of the previous two episodes, already went through it, if that makes any sense. Right. Um, and the thing that I'm hoping for now is that they have the vision and they meet up at the church, that it's going to be more of them as, you know, wh- whether or not they're called cloak and dagger or whatever, that they're together now, which is very important. You know, in some of these shows, they like to drag it out. But I have a feeling now it's going to be like, we're connected. We have to figure out what's going on. And they also know about what's wrong in each other's lives. And they're through the visions. They realize like Tandy realizes the way. Uh, Tyrone is going about getting justice is the wrong way, so she's gonna maybe try and help him, and then he sees what, you know, stuff about Tandy, and they maybe with their insight will be able to, you know, f- help each other out. Um, the other thing is there's a thing going on with the, where Tandy stabbed someone with the, with the light dagger, and now the cops, the dirty cop that shot Tyrone's brother, and the cop who's investigating Tandy's uh, assault slash, you know, she stabbed somebody are crossing over and meeting each other. So like, I think that's all going to be more important down the way. But like you said, it's a slower episode, but I think it's an important episode to build, to move the plot along. Um, so I hope we get back to more exciting stuff uh, in the next couple episodes. Yes. Still with the show, still hanging in there. Yeah. More paprika baths. Yes. So, uh, let's talk about Incredibles 2. Yes. Takes uh, place literally one second after the end of uh, 
the last movie. Now, I want to just say this. Am Now, let me finish this statement. Am I a dum-dum, Todd? I didn't know that the original Incredibles was supposed to take place in the early 60s. By all the, the cars and the... The, like, TVs and stuff like that? I thought it was just, like, here's this weird stylized world that we created that, much like Batman the Animated Series, could be taking place today or 100 years from now or 20 years ago. Little cute thing about uh, the Batman the Animated Series, if you go back and watch, except for one mistake, all the TVs in Batman the Animated Series are black and white. Right, right, that's true. So you're never quite sure where it is with the antique, like some of the cars, they don't look like like that. But I always felt they were the Fantastic Four-ish, and they kind of took place in 1963. Right. I guess they they come right out. Uh, there's a shot in the original Incredibles where Mr. Incredible is reading the paper, and if you freeze frame and zoom in, it says the date, which is 1960-something, like early 60s, like pre-1965. Okay. Pre-hippies, I guess. Oh, I hate those hippies. Right. Uh, So, there's a world where superheroes had been in hiding, they came out, Um, you know, they're fighting the Underminer at the end of the first movie, they're fighting the Underminer at the beginning of this. Um... We get a little bit more um, backstory. It's more with we get more with Violet. Uh, Dash, unfortunately, is just kind of like a background character. More of an annoyance at times. Right, right. Um, but there's a company, a um, developer, voiced by Bob Odenkirk, which was distracting me the whole time. Because mm-hmm. he looked just like Bob Odenkirk right. too. Uh, he decides that he is going to help um, rehabilitate the image of the superheroes, and he wants Elastigirl to be the face of this, putting her out, you know, on all these different missions and everything, while Mr. Incredible has to stay home and take care of the kids. And, you know, as we joke early earlier on and did earlier in, as we joke all the time, things don't go quite as planned. Right. Uh, what did you think of the movie? Let's talk about it. Stuff and things. Okay. Now, just overall, Incredibles, the first Incredibles is one of my, is my second favorite Pixar movie of all time. What's your first? Up. Now, see, I think uh, Incredibles is my favorite uh, Pixar movie of all time. Or second favorite. My first favorite is Finding Nemo. That's a good one. Up, I think, falls apart a little bit in the last act. Fair enough, but I, think I like the that. emotional gut punch of the opening, and the way that the rest of the movie kind of wraps up, it's just like a little uneven for me. Like I like Wall-E a lot, but I think Wall-E is like two separate uneven movies. I've never. That's one of the few Pixar movies I've never seen. Oh, okay. I have a list of like I've never seen that Ratatouille, any of the Cars. Cars one sh- gets a bad rap. And I'm not sure what the last couple were. I haven't watched yet, so the good like dinosaur Co- didn't see that one. Uh, neither did I. Coco wasn't there a Coco one? Coco I haven't seen. We tried to trick my son uh, into going to see it by he- uh, trying to convince him that it looked just like a stage in his uh, Super Mario Odyssey, but he wasn't buying it. 
They wanted to see the Emoji Movie instead. Oh boy, we lost that battle. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but, so uh, Incredibles is a, a very good, the first Incredibles is a very good, not just a very good Pixar movie, just a very good movie in general. Right. So this had a high bar for me, and it didn't meet that bar. I'm not saying Incredibles 2 was a bad movie. And also, just just side note, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, I went into that movie in a bad mood. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. Like, you know, in a weird way. I'm not going to go into all of it. Just, like, phone calls. I'm like, I got to go into this movie. I'm like, all right, I'm just shutting my phone off after a bad day. And I went into the movie, and I don't know if that, like, changed things for me, but in the end, I thought it was a good, fun uh, Pixar superhero movie sequel to The Incredibles, but I was not blown away the way I was with the first first movie. Not even close, to tell you the truth. I still recommend it. Go see it. It's fun. It's good. Um, I just felt that it was a little uneven and like you said jack definitely gets the short shrift because the first movie kind of you know is on mr incredible it's his journey to, to become relevant again and then now it's uh elastigirls and i like that and i'd like to see two more movies where jack jack and not jack jack uh uh the son and the daughter each take the center stage and just do a four part and have like all the Incredibles do it, but I don't I don't know because it took us fourteen years to get the second movie. Right, and I felt it was a little odd that there was the little vignette before the movie of the main cast apologizing that it's been so long since uh, the movies came out. It was weird, but they were like, "Don't worry, it's totally worth it," and I'm like. Okay, and also the that uh, I'm not saying that it's not hard. It was very easy to guess who the villain was in the movie mm-hmm. because all the commercials that not the commercial like when I went to see other movies, it was like, hey, I'm you know uh, I'm Coach from the TV show and I'm in Incredibles and I'm uh, I can't think of her name as Elastigirl and I'm Samuel L. Jackson as Frozone, and then it was the woman who played the villain in this was her like I'm the voice of and I'm like. Well, what other thing can you be other than the villain of this movie? You right. know what I mean? Like, and it was before a movie that I saw at Cinemark. And I'm like, okay, so as this movie's going on, I'm like, they're trying to convince you, like, oh, maybe it's Bob Odenkirk or maybe it's her. And I'm like, no, it's her the whole way. You know, like, there, there's no, there, or she would not have been a part of that video package that I saw two movies ago. Right, right. And that was part of, like, the pre-previews commercial list. Mm-hmm. And then I noticed the voice, and I noticed the character's name, and I'm like, okay. Because they also did that for Void, who was like the neon-haired girl who was like a big mark for Elastigirl. Right, who's the, who's the, who's the Pixar version of Spot in the Marvel Universe? Right. Um, so they have her in the highlight package, and I'm like, okay, she's not really playing much of a role. So, as you mentioned, it's obviously this other person who is the heel of the film, if you will. Right. Who will probably become bigger parts in Incredibles 3. Right. When they do it, when, you know, this cast is getting up there. They can't do all the stunts vocally. Uh, But, yeah, I really like the movie. Um, I'm a sucker for Pixar movies, and as we mentioned, Incredibles is one of my favorites. So... 
And let me ask you a quick question. Um, what did you think of the, 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 the short in front? I think it was one of the rare Pixar short misses. It was a little weird. Um, I, I, I get what they were going for. Um, right. So the short essentially is uh, an Asian-American woman. Is, I'm guessing, yes. Is making dumplings. And one of the dumplings comes to life. And then she treats the dumpling as her child who grows up very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then when her child is about to move out of the house, she eats him. Right. Which got a audible shocked gasp from the audience that I saw the <laughs> film with. Right. But then we see that her and this relationship that she had with the dumpling, and I say dumpling, it's a, a dumpling, it's a dumpling, uh, mm-hmm. is an analog for her son who has moved out of the house. Right, and is marrying outside their ethnicity? Yes. So is that the reason she's mad at him? Um, no. I just think that that is kind of an easier thing for them to be like, oh, this is why she's mad, you know? Right, but I thought it was because she was overprotective well, yes. of him. And it was just it was just really weird. I get the story, and there was like sad things like for me like i like it equated some moments of like all the you know like when he's the teenager dumpling and he's going in the car and he's just ignoring his mother and all that stuff and as a person who has you know misses his mother i went look at all that time i wasted do you know what i mean like as a 45 year old watching some of that I was like, look at all trying to be cool, and I'm too cool for my parents, and and all that, and just watching that in a weird way. I was sitting in the theater, and a tear almost started to roll down my cheek. I was like, what I wouldn't give to have that that bull crap teenager mentality go back and spend some more time in a weird way. But then the whole mo- the whole short falls apart when she eats them. And he comes in as the kid, like the real kid. I'm like, man, this this really isn't great storytelling as far as I, I'm concerned, uh, the way they did it. It was a little That's weird. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's my take on it. But I, enjoy, I enjoyed uh, the, the, the experience overall. Yes. Recommend going and seeing uh, Incredibles 2. It was good. Mm-hmm. So, do you have something to discuss here at the end you wanted to? Oh, yes. Uh, so it's not a book that we talk about, so that's why I'm saying it for the very, very end. Um, if you care about what's going on over in the X universe, you could <laughs> go away now. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it was announced that Colossus and Kitty Pride were getting hitched, call it a hunch, call it a feeling, but I didn't think they were going to be getting married. Right. I thought it was going to be a swerve, bro. A wedding swerve? I don't think that ever happens in comics. Right. So, as it turns out, as Marvel press released before the book even came out, uh, that essentially (laughs) what happens is uh, Kitty leaves Colossus, a.k.a. Pete. We use shoot names on this show. (laughs) Pietor. I call him Pete. I don't don't go by his uh, Russian name. No, you hate commies, I know. Leaves him at the altar. Everyone's kind of standing around like, huh, what happened? And Gambit just says, hey, there was supposed to be a wedding. There's not a wedding. Hey, Rogue, you want to get married? And then they do. 
Who does he think he is? Felicity and Ollie just stealing somebody's wedding? Wow, I don't get that reference in the slightest. Yes, you do. You did you watch the crossover of uh the the Legion oh, the Legends Felicity, of Tomorrow? I don't remember. I thought you were talking about the other CW show called Felicity from back in the day. I'm like, why is Todd watching that? No, Arrow. That was when they oh, had you the, didn't the say the... Felicity Smoak, so I had no idea what you were talking about. Right, Felicity Smoak and Ollie oh, Queen. I know what you mean now. Where they were like, oh, like, hey, because they, the wedding fell apart because Nazis show up, which as it often does, weddings don't go as planned when the Nazis show up. Right. And then at the end, they're like, oh, well, Ollie and, or uh, Barry and uh, Iris are going to get married in a park. And Felicity's just like, hey, let's steal some of their thunder and get married, too. So oh, you don't just steal somebody's wedding. That Felicity Smoak. But I guess uh, Gambit and Rogue got the free cake and stuff like that, so they were they're good to go. Right, but they're getting a uh, mini series. I guess they had a mini series earlier this year that was a uh, it was good. I don't know. I didn't read it. I don't know nothing about no Gambit and Rogue. Uh, but it's the new sequel to the mini series is now being called Mister and Mrs. X Man. Oh, really? Yes, which is cute. It is cute. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I found out about that today from a certain person at the comic shop. She was explaining to me, and I was uh, saying, you know, maybe the Batman wedding won't won't <laughs> won't hold. You know, you never know. Maybe they were trying to outswerve the swerver. And you're alive, right? After saying yes, that, yes, I am alive. I am alive. I made it out. So. Oh boy. So yeah, that's it. I just want to remark on that. Right. At the very end of the show. I don't know. It's it's a news story. We're talking about it. I didn't want to talk about it in the actual news part because it's spoilerific. Right. Fair enough. All right. So I guess, is there anything else for us to talk about? No, I think that's it. All right. So for Todd, this is Joe closing out episode 403 of Longbox Heroes, and we will catch you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop!